Heavenly Father, we do again, we thank you and we praise you and we just cry out and ask again that you would be our teacher tonight. Lord, we pray for just the the ministering work of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray you'd minister to each person who's here. And I just thank you that we're all here by divine appointment, that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we pray that that you would be the teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. I titled the message tonight, Nothing But the Blood. And the reason for that is that as we've been looking at the, the sacrificial system in Leviticus, we went through the first ten chapters, and as we looked at the sacrificial system, what a clear picture of Jesus in every single chapter. Because every sacrifice pointed to the Savior. And again, I don't have time to go into that, but you can certainly grab the tapes. They're free of charge. Help yourself. Then when you get to chapter 11 through the end of the book, you look at not just worshiping God and the sacrificial system, but how we are to walk with the Lord, what God's called us to do as Christians. In chapters 11 through 15, we saw the laws of purification. The difference between that which is clean and that which is unclean. And just like the law always does, it reveals to us as men and women that we are sinners in need of a Savior. When you look at the law, it's like a mirror, the Bible says, that reveals to us that we're sinners. So we get to chapter 16 last week, and we go from looking at clean and unclean, whether it be food or clean and unclean animals or clean and unclean in in all different aspects of life, and we get to chapter 16 last week, and we looked at the atonement. Now last week, as we looked at the Day of Atonement, I want to take a few minutes just to review that real quick. The Day of Atonement, what do the Jews call it today? It's got another name. What is it? Yom Kippur, as we talked about last week. They still celebrate it. It's the most holy and reverent of all days. It's the day that they point to that atones for all the sins of the previous year. Now back in the time of Leviticus, Yom Kippur and all the way through the Old Testament was again a day of atonement. And we talked specifically about some of the the real unique things about that day. Now last week we talked, it began the chapter that God reminded Moses and Aaron of what had happened to Nadab and Abihu. Now what happened to those guys? Who remembers? Got smoked, okay? And why did they get smoked? Why did they get struck down dead by God? Because they went into the Holy of Holies and they brought in profane fire. It was fire that did not come from the altar. They did not go in on the appointed day. They did not go in at the appointed time. They did not go in in the appointed way. And so chapter 16 was all a picture of Jesus one more time. And he was sharing with the high priest, look, when you go in on the day of atonement, here's how you must come. You must come on the, not on just any day and not just in any place and not just in any one, but it had to be the high priest. And when the high priest came, he had to come a certain way. He first had to come in and he had to come in changing his garments. We talked about this last week that the high priest was really duded up. Those of you here in Exodus, remember we looked at the high priest and he wore the purple garments and he had the the breastplate of righteousness with the 12 beautiful gemstones that reflected and he had that gold plate across his head that said holiness is the Lord and he had pomegranates and bells on his hymns and wherever he went everybody would know he was the high priest. But what's interesting on the day of atonement he took all that high priestly garment off and he went in wearing nothing but simple white linen. And the white linen is a picture of humility, and it's also a picture of humanity. Because it's what Jesus did. Because He took off His heavenly robes to come to earth, that He might atone for our sins. And so you see, as they took off the priestly garments, and He went in on that day of atonement in just these real simple linen cloth. Now what's interesting about that, is we talked about this on Sunday, when Jesus was born, what was He wrapped in? 
Linen cloth. And when he, was, when he died and they put him in the tomb, what was he wrapped in? Linen cloth. And we see here that the high priest on the Day of Atonement, when he went in to make sacrifice for the people, he was wearing linen cloth. It's not by chance, again, all of it pointing to our Savior 1,500 years before he came to earth. Now, when they went in, they would take the, the, the high priest would take the blood of the animal and he would go into the, the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle it how many times? Seven times. And seven in the Bible is a number of what? Completion or perfection. And we talked about how when Jesus died on the cross, as we saw on Sunday, what did he say? What were his last words? It is finished. To die, it is finished. Because the price was paid. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And so we saw that awesome work. And it's interesting that the blood was sprinkled seven times because we talked about the fact on Sunday that Jesus was pierced in seven places. Both of his hands, both of his feet, on his the crown of thorns upon his head, he was scourged in his back and his body were torn open. And then lastly, after he was dead, they stuck a spear in his side. So seven places, sprinkling blood seven times, the number of perfection, it is finished, a completed work upon the cross. Clear picture of our Savior. So as we went through that, we also saw that the high priest w- w- did the work by himself. Nobody helped him. All other sacrifices, other priests might be there on the outside to help him, but when it came to that Day of Atonement, only the high priest went in, and he went in by himself, clothed in that humility, or clothed in that humanity, a picture of the fact that, again, Jesus Christ alone paid the price for your sin. So again, everything you see in the high priest. It was also took place on the seventh month, on the tenth day every year. Again, the seventh month, the number of completeness. Ten in the Bible is always the number of law because of the Ten Commandments. And we see that the law reveals that we are sinners in need of redemption. And the completed work can come only through Christ. Now, the only thing that we saw, one thing we saw about last week that's a little different than what Jesus did, is that they had to make this sacrifice how often? How often? Once a year. When Jesus paid the price, it was once for eternity. And so the price was being paid once a year, proving once again that the blood of animals is not sufficient to rid man of his sin. What it did was it pushed our sins, pushed their sins forward another year, or covered them until the coming of the Messiah. It says in Hebrews 10.4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away the sins of mankind. They were not cleansed, but they were covered for a year. In Old Testament, atonement could not solve the sin problem. It simply pointed to Jesus Christ. And so every time you, that it's been said, you know, the Old, shadow, Old Testament is a, is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the New Testament. And so whenever we look in the Old Testament, every chapter, be looking for Jesus, because I promise you'll find Him there. And then I want to read this to you, and we'll look at chapter 17. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, here's the difference between the blood of the bulls and goats and the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, But Christ came as high priest, of the good things to come, with greater and more perfect tabernacle made not with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. No longer do we have to celebrate Yom Kippur. No longer do we have to go in and make the Day of Atonement every single year. And the sad part is the Jews today still celebrate Yom Kippur, but... Are, there, are the Jews making sacrifices anymore? What's the answer? No, they're not. But it says in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, remission or forgiveness of sin. So how is it that they're not shedding blood anymore? Now they say, if you talk to a Jew, that Yom Kippur is really a day of reflection. 
When you look back and you compare your last year and if you did more good than bad or... And, and it's so sad because the reality is that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And that's why Jesus came. So tonight we're going to continue to look at the Old Testament work of atonement. And we're specifically going to look at the sanctity of the blood. That the shedding of blood was never to be taken lightly. That they were taught to have high respect for the blood of animals. That they might high, have high respect one day for the blood of Christ. And while the blood of the sacrifices was a picture of the blood of Christ, the power and application of Christ's blood in the life of the believer today is complete and perfect fulfillment of all the Old Testament blood and sacrifices we're unable to do. You know what? Again, we've talked about this before, but a lot of people say, I wish I lived in the Old Testament times. Or I wish, I wish, you know what? We are the most blessed of all people because we have the completed revelation, all 66 books of the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have all the prophecy that we can look at that has already been fulfilled, and we know that based on the fact that everything that the Bible says would be fulfilled has been, that we can trust what it says in Revelation as to what is to come. Uh, you know what? I also believe we're living in the last days. And so praise God. We're blessed. We're blessed. And we should be, just be excited about the fact that God has us here for such a time as this. So let's begin in verse 1, and we're going to look at all sacrifices had to be offered at the tabernacle. We have some application for that. Just as the sacrifice required the shedding of blood, the shedding of blood would now require a sacrifice. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying... Now Moses, having been giving the law concerning the Day of Atonement, is now giving these instructions to the high priest. And what I love about this is repeatedly, Moses is the one that God speaks to. And we talk about this all the time, but why did God speak to Moses? I believe because Moses was the one who sought after God with his whole heart. Moses was the one that went to the Lord. Moses was the one that went up on the mountain for 40 days. Moses was the one that had a heart and a passion to hear from God. In 2 Chronicles it says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of. God is still looking today for men and women that he can use in a mighty and a powerful way. Not that we would be glorified, but that he would be glorified. That's the kind of man Moses was. Moses was a man who was available, and God continues to speak through him. And, it's, and he's going to give them instruction on the atonement. He's going to be, remember that these guys are not far from Egypt. Remember, they had just left Egypt. And what is Egypt into? What are they into? What kind of worship do they have? Idolatry, big time. And as these guys are coming out, remember what happened when Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days? What did the Israelites start doing? They made a golden calf and they started worshiping it, right? And so now as he's talking about the Day of Atonement, just remember that as a background because it's important as we look going through the text here. Look at verse 3. Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of the blood shall be, shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood that the man shall be cut off from among his people. So he told them in chapters 1 through 10 how to sacrifice, but now he's telling them that when you any time an animal dies, you must bring that animal to the tabernacle because his blood must be sprinkled there. You cannot just kill an animal out in the middle of the wilderness. You cannot kill an animal outside of the camp. Whenever you take the life of an animal, that animal must be brought to the door of the tabernacle and that sacrifice can only be made there. 
And what this means is that every animal that died was a sacrifice. Every single one. If they wanted to kill one of their clean animals to use it for food, the first thing they had to do was to take that animal into the tabernacle. No matter how far away they were. Now remember, they're traveling through the wilderness at this time. So they're traveling with the tabernacle. But wherever they are, they would have to stop and bring that animal in and have it sacrificed before the Lord. And otherwise, they were not supposed to kill it. So they had to bring it to the tabernacle and offer it as a peace offering. Now remember that when they gave a peace offering, what did they do? A peace offering, they set aside all the fat, which was what part of the, what part of the sacrifice? It's the best part. And what did they do with that fat? They burned it and basically it was an offering to the Lord. So every time they were going to take an animal and they were going to use it to feed their own families, they would then take that animal in and before anything else, they would sacrifice that animal to the Lord and give the very best portion of it to God. So the very best portion of the, of the animal, the fat and the, the, the juicy part and the tasty part, the in and out burger part, right? They would take that and they would offer it unto the Lord. Then they would take the right shoulder. And what did they do with that? Who remembers? Anybody remember? They gave it to somebody. They gave it to the high priest. Because it was God's way of providing for those in ministry. So the best of it went first to the Lord, and then they would take the right shoulder. Interesting to me, they took the right shoulder because the high priest was to bear the burdens of the people. But they took the right shoulder and they gave that portion to the priest, and then the rest of it, after the blood was shed and the blood was sprinkled on the altar, then they would take the rest of it home, and that was how they fed their family. But I'll tell you what, every time that you were going to feed your family in such a way, you had to be thinking about God first. You had to realize that God was the one that provided for me, so I'm going to make sacrifice to Him before I do anything else. You know, I'm going to offer it to Him, and then a portion of it's going to go to those who minister on my behalf. You know, this is the first picture of us giving to the Lord. Amen? We give to Him of our first fruits. We give to God first. And those of you, if it's your first time here, you can ask anybody. We don't pass an offering here. I'm not a big guy on talking about tithing, and give, although we're supposed to give and we're supposed to tithe, but you don't do it because a man guilts you into doing it. You do it from a cheerful heart out of your love for God. Amen? But I'll tell you what, in this text right here, there was no messing around. What does it say in that verse? In verse 4, it says, The guilt of the bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So if he did not bring the animal to the door, and did not sacrifice the best portion of it to the Lord first, and then give the right shoulder to the priest, guess what happened to him? The word cut off there, he's dead. It means that he's dead. If he took that animal and sacrificed it somewhere else and didn't bring and give the best of it to the Lord first and then didn't give portion of it to the high priest but just said, you know what, I don't want to go to the tabernacle. You know what, I don't need to go to the door of the tabernacle. I can just sacrifice it to the Lord right out here. I mean, I don't need to be there. I can be here. Now, why is it important that he be at the door of the tabernacle? Who's the door? Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And those of you who are here during Exodus, remember that all the elements in the door, the, the linen, the thing that the door was made out of, every one of those colors pointed to Christ. And He's the door. And remember that the door the, and, and the veils, they were all hung on four posts. Remember that? Just like the four points of the cross. They were all a picture of Jesus. And the point was that you had to make the sacrifice on the altar before the door because it was only through Jesus Christ 
alone that that sacrifice could be made. And if you made the sacrifice out in the wilderness somewhere, you were trying to sacrifice apart from Christ, apart from the cross, apart from the altar. And people are trying to do that today. Well, I can just, you know, I don't have to go to church. I can just kind of worship out here in the wilderness somewhere. I mean, I don't have to go in and be involved in a local church. I don't have to be in fellowship. I mean, it's not that important to me. You know what the Bible says? Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together and all the more as the time approaches. As the second coming of Christ gets nearer and nearer every day, we should be gathering more and more, not less and less. Amen? And you know what? God saved you to use you. And if you're not here, then your gifts aren't here. And you're not being able to minister to people as well being ministered to by people. And so if you're not here, then there's a hole in the local body. And you know what? The Lord, I've never seen a very, a really spiritually mature Christian who was in a solitary mode. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Amen? Christianity, the Lord sent him out two by two. And God didn't save us so we could go sit up on a mountain and cross our knees and get in the lotus position and hum until Jesus comes back. Amen? He called us to use us that we might minister to others. And these guys were not to go out and just do their own thing and, and you know, make sacrifices out in the wilderness. They were to come to the appointed place, to the tabernacle, because it was the cross and only through the cross that men can be saved. The guilt of the, sh- the bloodshed would be upon this man because either out of selfishness, out of laziness, out of greed, or out of rebellion, he wanted the entire animal for himself and he refused to go in to the place that God had called him to. Why is it that people don't go to church today? Same reasons. Out of selfishness, out of laziness, out of rebellion. Why don't people go to church? Well, I'd rather watch football on Sunday. Right? Every guy, raise your hand if you've ever done that in your life. You stayed up from church and watched football. My hand's up. Okay? Bear false witness. God knows, right? It's another sin, right? But there's times when we, we make choices and we say, this is more important to me than my walk with the Lord. And we can be lazy or we can be selfish or we can be in rebellion. And that's what was happening was they'd make sacrifice out in the wilderness and say, why do I got all, all the way to the temple? I'll just do it right here. I don't need to be where God wants me to be. I can be where I want to be. But as we see here, the consequences for disobeying God were pretty heavy. Instead of coming to the altar, the place of sacrifice, coming to the tabernacle, that place of fellowship, they instead would shed the blood himself. That's also blasphemous, because who's the one that's supposed to make the sacrifice? Who is it? The high priest. Because the high priest is a picture of who? Jesus Christ. Can I hang on the cross for your sin? No. Can I hang on the cross for my own sin? No, I mean, I'm going to die for my own sin if I don't repent of my sin, but I can't pay for anybody else's sin because I'm a sinner myself. And so when I go out and make the sacrifice myself, I'm saying I don't need the high priest. I don't need that one to intercede on my behalf. And that's what's so awesome about Jesus. He's the high priest and he's the sacrifice. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world and he's the great high priest all at the same time. That's the God that we serve. And they just said, no, I don't, I don't care, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And it says that they were cut off. And the word there in the original language means to destroy or to consume. It's, in, it's also in Exodus 31 it's where it says, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. That person shall be cut off from his people. Unrepentant sin, seeing no need for sacrifice, attempting to make atonement on your own, all will always result in destruction. Have you ever met people, you're witnessing to them, and they're attempting to make atonement for themselves, right? Bill and Alex, you guys were talking to somebody yesterday right here. 
Oh yeah, I'm good. I, I don't believe that if I stand before God one day, I've been a pretty good person. There's just no way He would send me to hell because I'm a pretty good guy. I'm seeking to make atonement for myself. I'm comparing myself to Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein and compared to them, I'm a pretty nice guy. And you know what? That's a trap that the world falls into and that's one of the enemy's biggest lies because we don't compare ourselves to men. We compare ourselves to Christ. And when you stand next to Him, how are you doing? Not good. Amen? He's perfect, holy God, and you're not. And you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And if we try to make atonement on our own, we're slapping Him in the face and saying, well, I don't need you. And that's what happens when they try to make sacrifice out in the wilderness, which is what the Egyptians did. They're just following the Egyptian pattern, making idol worship and making sacrifices in the wilderness. Verse 5. To the end of that, children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in an open field. Then they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to the priest, and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. They used to offer them in an open field before the tabernacle was constructed, but now that it's there, they must bring it to the tabernacle, because in the tabernacle is the altar. The altar is a picture of what? What's it a picture of? The cross. Remember, it's even the burnt, altar of burnt offering is perfect that a man could lay down on it. That's the exact dimensions of it. It's perfect that a man could lay down on it. It had four horns on it. They would sprinkle the blood on all four horns. They would tie the animal down on the four horns. And again, a perfect picture of the cross. The altar was there. The, the place of God's dwelling. Where did the Shekinah glory of God dwell? On the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, right? So when they were coming, they were coming into God's presence and they were coming to the altar, a picture of the cross. And if they went anywhere else, it would not work. It would be of no value. And again, they needed to bring those peace offerings to the Lord. Not doing things our way, but in obedience to God's command. Verse 6. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now it's important that we see the significance of the blood because if you make sacrifice on your own out in the wilderness somewhere, can the blood be sprinkled on an altar? No. And if the blood is not sprinkled on the altar, then there's no redemption for sin. There's no atonement for sin. Because that's what it's a picture, a foreshadow of what Christ was going to do. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Many years ago, I was up visiting my great uncle who I barely knew. I got a call from my grandmother, and she said, now your great uncle lives up there. You need to go see him. I have no idea who this, I, I'm like, I, I saw him when I was three years old, but okay. So I go over to his house to see him, and they got the whole family there. There's about 18 people around the dinner table. And I come walking in with my wife, Lynette, and, we, and this is before we had children. It was a long time ago. And we go and we sit down at the table, and I'm noticing all over the place, they got crucifixes with Jesus hanging on them all over the house. And then they're telling me about their next door neighbor who had just died. And they'd gone to his funeral that morning. And I said, and they're saying, well, we'll see him in heaven one day. And I said, oh, so he was born again. He was a believer. Well, praise God. They said, born again? Believer? What are you talking about? He was a good man. I said, well, let me ask you a question. How many many times a day does a good man sin? I mean, how how many times? I mean, the best man you've ever met is sinning 50 times a day. But let's say he sins three times a day. Is that fair? And they're like, oh, that's probably fair. I said, That's a thousand sins a year. How old was this guy? Well, he was 89. So if he's the best guy you've ever met, the guy sinned 89,000 times. Right? There's probably some zeros on the end of that, right? And here's the reality. If you go before a judge with 89,000 crimes, what would they do to you? You're in big trouble. And the sad thing is, well, I don't think he was a sinner. How many murders does it take to be a murderer? 
That'd be one. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? Oh, that'd be one. You just said he sinned 89,000 times, at least. If he's the best guy you ever met. So here's the reality. That we're going to stand before God and we're going to be found wanting. But the sad part is they kept talking about how he was a good man. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's, it, it ties into the text here. That if we could be good enough, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? I asked my uncle that. I said, you know, you got crucifixes hanging all over the house. If you can be good enough, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross? My uncle went, I don't, oh, that's, I don't know. I went over to open his Bible, his big Catholic Bible. He said, oh, you, we don't open that Bible. Oh, man, that, there's the problem. But see, read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We need to open the Bible. Because if we don't open God's Word, we're going to walk around biblically illiterate, and we're going to miss out on what it means to be a Christian. And so the same thing is happening here, is they're trying to do it apart from the cross. And there must be the shedding of blood for the redemption of sin. If there's no bloodshed, we can't get in. And so that's what the verse 6 is saying. It said that blood must be sprinkled on the altar. If it's not sprinkled on the altar, that seven times, right, pointing to the perfection, that it is finished, then you're trying to do it yourself. And if you're trying to do it yourself, you will fall short every single time. It's only possible at the altar, a picture of a cross, through the high priest, a picture of Jesus Christ, and through the blood of a holy, perfect sacrifice, again, a picture of Jesus Christ. And then it says there, they took it and they burned the fat, giving the best of the sacrifice to the Lord, and it was a sweet aroma in the presence of the Lord. Doesn't it blow your mind that you can do something that is a sweet aroma in the presence of God? Doesn't it blow you away that you can make God smile? Do you know that? Do you know that He looks at you and you're His son or you're His daughter? And he, he, He's blessed when He sees you sharing your faith. He's blessed when He sees you getting down on your knees and spending time with Him. Oh, there's my son. He's coming to talk to me. He loves it when you open up His Word and you say, Lord, by Your Spirit, just help me to understand. And he wants to just pour out his spirit upon you and he wants to just bless you. I mean, I look at my children and nothing makes me happier than to see them happy. I love it when my kids are doing things and I just go, oh, it just builds, puts joy in my heart. There's a little league game a while back when my sons were on the same little league team and one of my sons was on second base, their, their score was tied. My other son was at bat. My son hit a hit. My other son came in to score and my two sons were jumping up and down on the mound hugging each other. And my wife and I were crying in the stands. Because they never hug each other, <laughs> you know. And they're hugging each other, and we're just like, oh, because I'm their dad, and it blesses me to see them filled with joy and loving on each other. And you know, how much more does the Lord love it when we're loving on, on each other? When we're ministering to each other, when we're laying down our lives for each other, when we're serving each other, that's the God we serve. And that, that's, that fat that's being burnt, burnt, that best that we have, giving it to the Lord is a sweet aroma in His presence. It brings a smile to our Savior's face. We just love each other supernaturally. When we serve each other the way that He wants us to. What an awesome blessing. Look at verse 7. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons, after whom they have played the harlot. There shall be a statute forever to them throughout their generations. Here's the sad part. When they offer sacrifice anywhere but the temple, anywhere but the tabernacle, anywhere but on the altar, they're offering sacrifice to the devil. Now the word there for demons, I looked it up, it's, it's interesting because the word means he-goat. And it's interesting that the Egyptians had a goat god that they, they made sacrifices to in the wilderness. And so as they were traveling through the wilderness, there were some of them that had brought, you know, they got Israel out of Egypt, but it was kind of hard to get Egypt out of Israel, right? 
They were no longer in Egypt, but they brought their idol worship with them. And they brought the materialism with them. And they brought the doubt with them. And they brought all that other stuff with them when they got there. And so those same practices, they're falling into that very same sin. They're worshiping the he-goat. They're worshiping these demons. A reference again to the, the goat demons they believed inhabited the wilderness. By commanding that, that all animals and all food be brought to the tabernacle, it was, in, it was designed in part to make sure that nobody was making sacrifices to the demons, the he-goat, out in the wilderness. They said, because they could have said, well, we're just sacrificing this to the Lord out here. And the Lord said, you know what? I'm not, we're not going to do that. You bring everything to the tabernacle. Because if you're out here making sacrifice, then we're going to know that you're not making a sacrifice to God. You must bring it to the cross. You must bring it to the altar. You must bring it to the tabernacle. Anywhere else, it says there that you're playing the harlot. Now, what's amazing about that is you're committing spiritual adultery. You're offering to false gods that which belongs only to God. That's what you're doing. When you make sacrifices to anything else, that belongs to the Lord. Who do you belong to? You belong to the Lord. Did Satan pay any prices for you? Did, did any, nobody else did, but Christ did. He paid the price for you. And the reality is that we're all living sacrifices serving something. You're either serving your career, your pursuit of wealth, physical pleasure, relationships. And if you're serving anything other than Christ, the Bible's called us to be living sacrifices. If we're serving anything other than Him, then we're involved in idol worship. Some of us are waxing our idols out in our, front, out in our driveway on Saturday. Right? I've had people tell me, well, you know, I can't really come to church right now because, well, I had to get a second job to, to pay for the boat. Let's back up the truck. What? <laughs> you know, uh, well, you know, I bought this new boat so that I could take my family out, and we need some real quality family time. And so I bought the boat, and well, to have the boat, I had to get a trailer, but then I realized it's such a far drive that I had to get a cabin on the lake. And then because I had the cabin and the boat and the trailer, I had to get a truck because my car wouldn't pull the boat. And then before, I, and so I had to get a second job. And so now we don't come to church anymore because i got to save money so I can get my family up to the lake. Hey, you know what? Let me tell you something. Family vacations are wonderful. But if you want to be the spiritual leader in your house, you make sure your family is in fellowship. Amen? Choose today whom you're going to serve. Be the spiritual leader in your house. Not that you can't ever miss a Sunday or a Wednesday. That's not what I'm saying. Don't be in bondage. You're not under the law. But the thing is that church should be a get-to and not a have-to. Amen? It should be something you look forward to. Oh man, it's Wednesday. We're going to study the Bible. It's going to be great. I'm going to bring my family. We're going to hang out together. We're going to fellowship. I'm going to be able to serve and minister to others. Not a have to, but totally a get to. We're all slaves to something. Everything else is harlotry if we're serving something else. If you're a, a slave to it. And you know what? I guarantee you all of us in this room have been slaves to something at one time or another in our lives if we're not right now. Amen? I've been a slave to my job before. I will confess to you openly. I had a job where I was working 70 hours a week. And you know what? There's no way I can do that and serve God the way that He wants me to. Should I do my job as unto the Lord? Absolutely. But should the job come before the Lord? Absolutely not. Amen? Don't, put, don't be a living sacrifice to anything that is perishing. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Verses 8 and 9. Also, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So every sacrifice must be brought to the door of the tabernacle. Period. He's making it really clear. Why? Because he knows people are going to blow it. 
They're going to be lazy. They're going to get up on Sunday morning and they're supposed to be taking their sacrifice in and the fish are biting. You know what? Let's just drop that cow right out here. You know, I mean, bring the hatchet. All done. Okay, it's 8.30. We still got time. Let's go fishing. And you know, I mean, it's the same thing that can happen today. We can just put God on the back burner. God's just not that important to us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? You know what? There's nothing I would rather do than hang out with you guys. There's nothing, I, the, all of my closest friends in the world, now I have a burden for the lost and I have a passion for them, but I'm praying for you guys and I love hanging out with you guys and I look forward to spending time with you guys. Why? Because we're family and we got Jesus in common. Amen? And when you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. And so the sad part is that we can become slaves to the world. And he says, look, if they don't bring it to the tabernacle and they don't bring it to the cross, where's the tabernacle today? Where is it? It's in us. It's not the VHM gymnasium. Amen? Not these hard chairs we're sitting on right now. They keep you guys awake, so that's kind of good. But here's the thing. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if we're together at the temple, that means we have to gather together. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So when we come together, that's the temple. It's us, the Holy Spirit and us, coming together. We're all living stones, the Bible says. And we come and we build each other up and encourage each other. Sacrifices offered anywhere else resulted in broken fellowship and ultimately death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one place, there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one hope. Verse 10. Now we move on and we're going to look at the blood. And that the eating of blood and unsacrificed animals was forbidden by God. Look at verse 10. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of his strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Now in case you're wondering, when God says, I will set my face against that person, that's not good. You, you don't want God setting his face against you. If God is for me, who can be against me? And if God is against me, I'm in big trouble. Amen? And he says, if you, it says right there in the text, if any man eats the blood... I will set my face against the pers- that person. <clears throat> Why does God care about them eating the blood? Eating it would result in becoming an enemy of God. Why? Because the blood had a specific purpose. What was the blood for? It was for sacrifice. It was for atonement, not nourishment. Amen? The blood was in the animal specifically with one purpose, to make atonement for the sins of man. And so if that person took the blood in themselves... They were taking what was supposed to be used for atonement, to restore sinful man back to holy God. And so they were commanded not to drink the blood, not to eat of the blood of the sacrifices. Now, the, now if, you don't, if you underline anything in your Bible, if you want those people underline verse in your Bible, underline verse 11. This is one of the most powerful verses in the book of Leviticus. Okay, let's take a look at it. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Is that pretty clear? Or what? It's the good works and the great things you do in baking cookies for the lady across the street that makes atonement for your soul. It's you going and, and being a really nice guy and being on a, on, a, on a graded curve and being better than the guy down the street. It says, no, it's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. And here's what tells you why we're not to drink the blood. It's, what does it say is in the blood? What does it say? The what is in the blood? 
The life is in the blood. You know, it's interesting to me, this is written 1500 B.C. Haven't we learned a lot about what blood does? How blood brings nutrients to our body, oxygenates us and stuff. Do you think they knew this medically back at, back, you know? But the Bible tells us that it's very clear. That the life is in the blood. You take the blood out of something, it dies. Amen? And that's the reason the blood was sacrificed, because it was the life that was being sacrificed. Because for atonement to take place, life must be given for life. There must be a life that is sacrificed in the, so that our life might be spared. And that's why blood had to be shed, because the life was in the blood. And I love this picture here, because it says, I have given it to you upon the altar. I've given it to you. This is God talking. This is a picture again of Jesus Christ. 1,500 years before He came, He says, I have given it to you. Again, the life is in the blood. Blood carries, again, all those sustaining things that we need. Blood is, again, for that atonement, not for nourishment. And God has chosen sacrificial blood as a ransom for a person's life. A substitute is given up in order to make sacrifice. And it had to be life for a life. The blood of animals was to be highly respected, but it wasn't the ultimate answer because every year they had to keep repeating it. The blood must be shed for forgiveness for atonement to occur. Nowhere in the Bible does it say good works can atone for our sin. Nowhere. People say that all the time. That's the number one thing I probably hear when I witness to people. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. Well, compared to what? What's the standard? What are you using as the plumb line? You know, I can, you know, I can jump real high compared, well, to very few people. But, you know, I can jump real high maybe compared to a two-year-old. But if Michael Jordan stands next to me, I'm looking, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing. Reality is it's not that how I jump compared to Michael Jordan, it's, it's the fact that we're trying to both jump to the moon and we're not getting anywhere near it. That's the standard, it's Jesus. And what's very, being very clear here is, look guys, the standard is there must be bloodshed. And, the, and, and you know what, people say, man, Leviticus is a bloody book and the Bible is a bloody book. You know what? Praise God. Because it's through the shedding of blood that there's forgiveness for sin. We need to make this really clear. I hope we get this just ingrained so that when someone comes up to us and says, well, don't you think that for the, the people in Africa, maybe this is their path and for the people over here, maybe that's their path and maybe there's another way? No. You've got to bring the sacrifice to the door of the tabernacle. The door is Jesus. The altar is the cross, and there's no other name under heaven through which men must be saved. Only through Him. No other way, no other path, no other hope. Again, if we could do it another way, Jesus would not have had to die. Verse 12. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. The children of Israel were not to eat blood. They were also not to eat fat. Why? Because the fat was the best, and where did that belong? to the Lord. And the blood had life in it, and it was that atoning work. And it's interesting to me, though, they were not to drink the blood, and they were not to eat the fat. And here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. How did the apostles respond to this? Who remembers? What what did they say? This is a hard thing that you say to us. This is a hard word. We've We've been taught our whole lives that you don't drink blood because life is in the blood. And you don't eat you don't eat the fat, you don't touch the 
but you're telling me we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood. How does this work? You know why? Because the blood of the Old Testament was the blood of dead animals. Amen? And the blood of dead animals could not bring you life. It was something, the life was in the blood and its life had to die to make atonement for the coming. But guess what? The Lord is making another human analogy that we can understand, but He's saying, you have to take me into you. What did He do at the Passover? He held up the, the wine or the juice, and what did He say? This is my what? This is my blood. And He held up the bread and said, this is my flesh. And He's saying, it's more than just having a knowledge of me, but you must take me into you. You can't just know about the Lord. You can't just have a distant relationship with the Lord. But He must become, you must be consumed with Him. He must become a part of you. Blood of dead animals atoned to push our sin forward, but the blood of the perfect, holy, loving God made manifest in the flesh cleansed us eternally. And whoever eats of His flesh and drinks of His blood, why? Because one drop of His blood can pay for the sins of all of mankind. One drop. Amen? And that's what paid for our sins. That's where our hope is, you guys. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. Almost done. Verse 13. Whatever man of the children of Israel, or the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. Whenever they hunted animals, they never were able to sacrifice an animal they hunted. Why? Because all the animals they sacrificed were always domesticated animals. Why? Because the sacrifice must cost them something. The sacrifice had to come from an animal that belonged to them or an animal that was domesticated that belonged to somebody else that they purchased from them. But they could never make a sacrifice that didn't cost them something. Why? Because salvation is a free gift, but it was not cheap, as we saw on Sunday. Amen? Christ had to pay a heavy price that you and I might be saved. And so they couldn't just go out and, oh, well, it's sacrifice tomorrow, let me go hunt down some doves or something, right? And shoot one out of the sky and then bring it in. But what's interesting is that when they would hunt, there was a tradition that they would take the animal and they would rip it open and they would pour its blood out on the ground and offer it to the God of hunting. The hunting God, right? And the Lord said, you're not doing that. Here's what you're going to do. You're gonna, its blood is not worthy to be sacrificed because it's not a domesticated animal. And think, another thing, real quick. Why, why is it important that the animal is domesticated? Can you imagine offering a lamb or a little goat that's been living in your house as a sacrifice? How much harder would that be? You got, kids are naming it. Kids are riding it around the house. You're petting it. I don't mean to be too graphic, but some of you guys think about your family pet. And having to take your family pet and offer it as a sacrifice for your sin. How hard would that be? That's what's happening. They're taking these little lambs, done nothing wrong, totally innocent, and it's dying in their place. Why? Because it's a picture of the fact that salvation is not cheap. That it's an expensive gift that was paid for by our Savior. It's a free gift, but it was expensive. And it's saying here that the blood had to be shaken out and they put dust over it. Why did they cover it with dust? Because they did not want it to be a sacrifice to false gods. Verse 4. For in it is the life of all flesh, it, the blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Again, cut off means separated from God, means separated from the people for all eternity. Let me ask you a question. I wouldn't do this, but can we drink blood today if you wanted to? What's the answer? Yeah. Why? Because all this was pointing to when Jesus came. Now, I'm not going out and drinking any glasses of blood anytime soon, all right? 
But this was the law, the Old Testament law that was fulfilled in Christ. And when Christ paid the price, no longer do we, again, the law still points to Him. It's still a perfect picture of Him. We can still study it and learn from it. But we're not dragging lambs in here on the tenth, you know, seventh day of the tenth month, right? The tenth day of the seventh month. We're not dragging lambs in here. We're not having Day of Atonement. We're not having Yom Kippur. Why? Because it's finished. Price has been paid. Last two verses. Verse 15. And every person who eats... What died naturally, what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Okay, the reason that the cleansing was necessary is the blood of these animals had not been drained. They were not to eat anything with its blood. And again, so if you're out here going, well, I eat, you know, medium or steak. Kind of, kind of well... We're not in the Old Testament anymore, okay? Again, all of it pointing to Jesus Christ, all of it is things we can study. It's not done away with, it's not of no value, but it's been fulfilled in Christ. Amen? He's fulfilled the law. So in closing, and speaking of nothing but the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice had to be made. It had to be on the, made on the right day, at the right place, by the right man. Jesus is our great high priest, and He paid the price for our sins. He died upon that altar for us. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, and the altar was the cross of Calvary. By the way, anybody else who wants to sign up for Israel, let me encourage you to do it. we got the list back. I think we have 23 people going. I want to encourage you to go. It's not too late. Sign up. We'd love for you to come. And if you go, we will see the cross. Or not the cross, but we'll see, the, we'll see Calvary, where the cross was, and where Jesus died for us. His blood was shed that you and I might have eternal life. So again, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and we praise You for Your Word and we thank You, Lord, that You paid the price that we could not pay. And we thank You just for the the Old Testament foreshadowing that so clearly points to You that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. But Lord, we thank You that You paid the price for us, that You suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And we thank You, Lord, that as we looked at on Sunday, that You said, it is finished. Lord, that it's not you plus 47 other things we need to do. But Lord, it's just believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we're saved to the glory of the Father. Lord, I pray that we would live lives that would be a sweet aroma in your presence. Lord, that the fat would be burned, that we would give you the best of the offering, the best of what we have, and the way that we love others, the way that we serve others, the way that we honor you. So Father, we just love you and praise you just again for that great and awesome work you did on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.